NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those Camrys up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This NASCAR season, every member of the Toyota racing team is doing their part to take the trophy home. Like sixth grader Melissa Kowalski, who changes true to true X on every true false quiz she takes. All my teachers are Martin Truex Jr. fans now. Keep up the great work, Melissa. To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. One more lap at Richmond Raceway for Kyle Larson. Trying to put an exclamation point on the day. Kyle Larson has had a career day here at Richmond. Strong early, good middle, but best late. Here's Larson for the final time off the end of the backstretch. Chevrolet domination in 2023 will continue. Career win number 20 off four. Final time and Kyle Larson has won here at Richmond. Kyle Larson picking up the victory in the Toyota Owners 400 Richmond Raceway. I could tell it was it was fast in my uh, in my car. And, you know when you the jack drops, you're just looking in the mirror hoping that you can get out and clear in front of them. I, I took a hard right out of the pit stall to kind of choke them guys up coming behind me. And so yeah, hats off my picker. They nailed it there on the clutch you know pit stop there and ultimately won us the race. So it takes a, a whole team effort to win these Cup Series races and we've been close to winning you know a couple others just. Uh, haven't quite executed 100% in those the ends of those races, but today we uh, definitely did. So happy for the effort and, and happy to uh, get back in Cup Series victory lane. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you as we make the transition from pavement to dirt. We were on the asphalt of Richmond Raceway this past weekend for the Toyota Owners 400, and we're getting ready to head to Thunder Valley, Bristol, Tennessee, and a weekend filled of racing on dirt. We will head to those hills of Tennessee for another visit to the Bristol Motor Speedway. We've got that and more coming up. We will go back and relive the wild outing at Richmond with a NASCAR Live Backtracks. NASCAR Hall of Famer Daryl Waltrip is going to stop by. Whenever we think Bristol, we think Daryl. So we're going to check in with old DW and see what he's thinking as we go into Bristol this weekend. You know, Bristol has provided us with a lot of headlines over the years. We're going to take a trip down memory lane and revisit Bristol's history. We're also going to hear from Chris Gale, crew chief in the NASCAR Cup Series, plus we'll preview the upcoming action at the last great Coliseum. But first, Kyle Ricky is here with a check of the latest NASCAR headlines. Kyle, what do you have for us? Mike, the entry list for the Weather Guard Truck Race on Dirt has a star-studded lineup, including numerous dirt ringers and Cup Series regulars. The latest to be added to that contingent is Chase Briscoe. He will pilot the AM Racing 22 truck. Briscoe will compete against fellow Cup Series regulars in William Byron, who will be behind the wheel of the number 51 for Kyle Busch Motorsports, and Joey Logano, 
who will be in the number 66 for Thor Sport Racing. In addition to diving in the number 13 for Colleague Racing on Sunday, Spire Motorsports announced that three-time Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series National Champion Jonathan Davenport will drive the number 7 this weekend as well. Just a reminder, you can catch Motor Racing Network's live coverage of the WeatherGuard Truck Race on Dirt at the Bristol Motor Speedway beginning on Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And the NASCAR Hall of Fame made a special announcement this week. Austin Sindrick's 2022 Daytona 500 winning car has been added to the museum's Glory Road. The exhibit displays and highlights some of the most iconic cars in NASCAR's history. Mike. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, we'll relive an action-packed Toyota Owners 400 with another edition of NASCAR Live Backtracks. And later, Daryl Waltrip, NASCAR Hall of Famer, is going to join us, revisit some of his successes at Bristol as we reminisce on some of those special moments. Ruoff Mortgage wants to welcome you home with their fast and stress-free mortgage process. Ruoff knows that when you're ready to move, you want to keep things moving. From the moment you start, Ruoff makes sure the process moves quickly, often twice as fast as other lenders, so you can close quickly and settle in sooner. Visit Ruoff.com to learn how you can qualify for the fastest loan of your life. That's Ruoff, R-U-O-F-F dot com. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Sunday, we enjoyed an eventful showing from the new short track package at Richmond Raceway. The action consistently left fans on the edge of their seats. Let's revisit all the excitement with another edition of NASCAR Live Backtracks. Shannon Bednarik on top of the flag stand, looks them over closely, waiting to put the green in the air. Alex Bowman, Kyle Busch on the front row, green flag is out, we're racing in the Commonwealth of Virginia. 70 laps are now or soon to be complete. Here comes Willie B off turn number four. He's done this before already this season by scoring yet another stage win. William Byron across the line, green and white checkered flag is in the air. We've got a spin right here off of turn number four. It is Josh Berry that has spun. Sorry to interrupt you right there. It was not a Toyota. It was a Chevrolet. And it was the uh, Chevrolet of Josh Berry. That will put us under the caution flag. Right now, William Byron is starting to catch the wrath of Kyle Larson. Here's Larson to the outside of the racetrack in turn two. Side by side for the lead. Larson out in front by a fender in three. Kyle Larson has yet to lead here this afternoon, but he may lead. Lap 124 off four around William. Byron and Kyle Larson has taken over the lead from Willie B. Larson Fender out in front from the high side coming into one. By the time they get to two, it's Byron with a Fender out in front. To the back straightaway. Byron and Larson with now Christopher Bell closing in some three car lengths behind them. He is charging hard and by the way, Noah Gregson is driving away off the front bumper of these two drivers that are battling for the lead and that battle is now over. William Byron goes back to the top of the leaderboard here Battle for the lead is happening in lap traffic. Here's Byron and Bell side by side. They've just bypassed Harrison Burton. They've got Noah Gregson directly ahead. Now Byron backs away. Christopher Bell will take the lead off the end of the back stretch. And Martin Trex Jr. is third, and he has now become a player for the race lead. Neither Hamlin nor Bell have a stage win, but that may end here shortly. Denny Hamlin has come to life towards the end of this stage. He has just made the pass for the lead around Christopher Bell, and he's pulled away by two 
car lengths. To the back straightaway, Denny Hamlin comes. Three car lengths in hand as he'll lead back to the turn. And he'll be very cautious on the accelerator through turns three and four. Green and white checkered flag is in the air. And Denny Hamlin wins stage number two of the Toyota Owners 400. Denny Hamlin peels off. Finally comes to the crew. They're going to go to work on the right side. Gets a pump of the jack. They're going to put those Goodyear Racing Eagles on. No changes in for Denny Hamlin. He's been very happy with the race car. Trouble on the right front for Denny Hamlin. Trouble with Denny Hamlin. The tire did not go on. Further back, Kevin Hartwick is in. Four tires in fuel for him. What a disastrous pit stop here for Denny Hamlin with that trouble on the right front. Green flag goes back in the air, and Martin Truex Jr. on the inside lane gets a whale of a restart. He'll clear everybody by the time they get to turn one. Dylan's lap car gets out of the way, and they're still double wide, racing for the lead. Neither driver giving an inch as they dive it down into turn number one. You got Truex on the low lane. You got Byron on the inside, around the outside lane, that is, coming out of two. Fender out in front for Byron, but Truex is right there with him. Lap after lap, side Trouble, by... turn number two. One car goes around. It looks like Tyler Reddick has gone for a spin. The caution is on the speedway. This is not what Martin Truex Jr. wanted to have happen with 28 laps to go. Looking like Tyler Reddick went for a spin over in turn number two to bring us under the caution flag. 21 to go at Richmond. Geico restart. Green flag in the air. Kyle Larson and his teammate Josh Berry. William Byron looking on and they are going to go three wide into turn number one. Ross Chastain. Oh, look at William Byron's around and into the outside wall. Byron gets clipped. He'll nail the outside wall between one and two. He'll back the car in. The heavy, heavy contact to the back of that car. He'll back it down the banking. Contact was made, and William Byron will go around, and his day is done in Richmond. Chevrolet domination in 2023 will continue. Career win number 20 off four. Final time, and Kyle Larson has won here at Richmond. What a win for Kyle Larson and Hendrick Motorsports Sunday at the Richmond Raceway. Speaking of winning, we'll check in with NASCAR Hall of Famer and NASCAR legend Daryl Waltrip. He'll stop by, and then we'll do a deep dive into the history of Bristol. Sir, are you aware you were going 40 miles an hour? This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top nine miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, it did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American Racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. As we head to Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend, one name that always becomes top of mind, and that's a man that took a lot of hardware out of Bristol Motor Speedway over the years, and that would be Daryl Waltrip, NASCAR Hall of Famer, joins us on the hotline. DW, welcome back to NASCAR Live. How are we doing? Oh, great. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's my time of year, you know, with Bristol and Richmond and Martinsville, I mean, those were my, those were bread and butter to me. They, those were my home. That's where I loved. I loved those tracks and a lot of success there. And always look forward to watching races from there. 
12 wins to your credit at Bristol. Now, I realize that now things are a little different. Racing on dirt at Bristol instead of racing on the concrete like like you did. Just what do you think? We're, we're coming in here on year three of, of being on the dirt at Bristol. What do you make of them putting dirt on Bristol? And that's something that we should entertain going forward or maybe go back to our roots a little bit and race back on the concrete. Well, I, I, I did the uh, I did the race last year for Fox, me and Boyer and Mike Joy, and uh, I mean it, it, it's okay, but it's not Bristol. You know, Bristol was I, I won races on asphalt at Bristol. I won races on concrete. I never raced on dirt, and I never thought I'd be I'd see the day when they put dirt on the racetrack for us to race on. But anyway, uh, that's it's just. It's not what it's not supposed to be that way, and I know Jerry Caldwell. He gets all over me. He says, "Man, you got to be a promoter. You got to you got to go with the, what we're doing right now." And I said, "I know, but I just don't like it." And so anyway, <laughs> um, I wouldn't do it that way. So when you put dirt on something, you're burying it, and uh, you know, hopefully they'll they'll realize that before it's too late. Well, you've got a lot of memories there. What was it about you and Bristol when I remember watching you race? You seem to get into a rhythm there, and once you got in that rhythm, it was hard to get you out of it. Well, I, I think a lot of it. I had success there, you know, when I drove the Gatorade car uh, on my own. But when I went to drive for Junior, Junior Johnson, uh, his two and my two made five. I knew a little bit about Bristol. He knew a whole lot about Bristol, and you put that all together, and we were just kind of hard to beat. We won seven races in a row there, and it was just it was the car, the team, the pit stops. The driver, it was just a combination of everything that made it all work. And uh, we had a lot of success there. I love that track. Uh, I, I think I, one thing I think it helped me a lot when I was um, through the years was I was a little bit younger than a lot of the guys I was racing against. And so they would give out and I wouldn't. And so I would come on, you know, 150, 200 laps to go and, and uh, take control of the race and win it from there. So I, I just I just like that track. I like the challenge. Uh, I just I liked everything about it. And that's why I, I did well there, I guess. Well, for what you're describing, it sounds like that it's a physically demanding track. Is it because the lap speeds are are so fast that you do that after a period of time, you start to get worn out, you start to fall, fall out of the seat a little bit? Was it all about that, the banking and just the rhythm and just the fast nature of things? Well, I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, we would get in a situation where, you know, we might have to make a green flag pit stop, which you don't have to do that much anymore, but uh, we'd have to make a green flag pit stops long green runs and you know you, you had to you had it, it really it's kind of funny how it worked back and you would listen to the engine and the engine and you just you kind of you you literally got into a rhythm and you knew where you were you knew what you were doing and you knew how to do it and i think that's what made it all work i, I just think uh, it was a combination of a lot of things it wasn't it wasn't just me the driver wasn't just a car. It wasn't just a crew. It was all of us together. What about keeping an even keeled mind in those uh, races at Bristol? There, not letting your emotions get in the way. Could could a driver that necessarily doesn't manage his emotion the best? Could that be something that works against him? Well, it can. Uh, I always try to I always try to keep my emotions in check. It's okay to play with the emotion. You just don't want emotion to play with you. And uh, a lot of guys can't they can't separate the two. Uh, I think, you know, you get bumped once and you want to go back and get even with the guy that bumped you. But it just wasn't that way back in the day. Me and Dale and Rusty and Terry and Bill and all of us, we just I, – I think I, – I keep hearing this word respect. I hear a lot of talk about respect. I just think we respected more than, uh, each other more than that. We 
took care of each other. Uh, when somebody was in a bad spot, we kind of give them a break, let them get going again. And, and I just don't see that happening today. It's funny you say that because that leads me to some next questions I was going to ask you. That respect word that you referred to or lack thereof has been a topic of conversation this year among the drivers. You've had a chance to check things out and perhaps maybe observe what we're talking about. What are your thoughts about the perceived level of disrespect right now in the Cup Series? Well, again, it's a combination of things. Uh, I think these... You know, how many races have we had this year when we had to go into overtime or green-white checkers? or I, I, I think there's a way to manage that. But I also think that – I don't think NASCAR necessarily uh, disapproves of the action that, uh, that we see on the track. I think they kind of like it. I think they look forward to those green-white checkers and guys running into each other and guys getting mad at each other. I, I don't think they promote it, but I don't think they run away from it either. So – uh, I, I personally, if it were me, I'd just have single power restarts. When you really? got down to inside of 10 laps, five laps, whatever the, whatever the, the, the range there would be, whatever they decide was the right range, I would just have single power restarts. I think that'd take care of a lot of these uh, problems that we're having with these guys running over each other. They've all got this attitude that I got to win at all costs. It doesn't matter. You know, I'll, I'll take, I'll pay the consequences Monday or I'll text the guy and tell him I'm sorry. Uh, I, I just it just went that way back in the day. We dealt with it when it happened, and uh, it didn't happen that often. You know, Kyle Busch was vocal a couple of weeks ago at Atlanta. He mentioned Mark Martin. Uh, your name came up in the conversation. Rusty, Dale, Terry. Um, back then, if there was an issue, it was nipped in the bud pretty quick, but not as publicly as it is today. And drivers, he said, didn't come along in that day and in that age. Is that a fair assessment to compare the generation that he was referring to in your era to basically in stark contrast what we have today? I, I think a lot of that is uh, social media, uh, you know, with the, with, with the Internet the way it is and Facebook and Twitter and all these different venues that you have that you can go to. Uh, I think that's maybe created some of this controversy or some of these situations. Uh, but, but we didn't have that. Uh, you know, that's, that, that just started in the, what, in, sometime in the 90s. So we didn't have that. So you had to, if you had a problem with the guy, you had to deal with it right there and then. You had to deal with it with a race it over with, put it behind you, got to race next week, can't have this hanging over our head all the time. I, I think that has a lot. I think that the Internet has a lot to do with uh, some of the controversy that we have. Six different winners in seven races. What are your thoughts on uh, what you're seeing, what you're hearing coming out of these first seven races so far? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it's the car. Uh, I think uh, I, I think teams that have connections. Uh, this car reminds me so much. I, you never been to Australia. I went to Australia. I enjoyed it. I did a few years ago. Watched the V8 supercars run over there. And this car is very, very similar to that. So I think if you have some connections with maybe some teams that have experience with this type of car, it's it's a totally different animal. You know, it's nothing like what we had coilovers and all kind of different suspension setups. And I, I just think it. I think one week you hit it, you know, next, ne- the next week you miss it. They don't have a real big notebook in the past. You know, you had a large notebook you go to and figure out what to do. And we just don't have that right now. So I think that's why we see a variety of different winners ever. You know, ever so often. And uh, I, I don't know. It's going to take a little while for that to change. But I, I still think. At the end of the day, as they say, uh, the cream still rises to the top. 
And and the teams with the most resources, whether it's financial or personnel or whatever, but the teams with the most resources still get are the teams that end up in victory lane. I mean, you take uh, Justin Marks. He's a great guy, great great car owner. And uh, you know, Chastain is an aggressive driver. And Suarez, and Suarez, you know, he's just he wants to do well himself. So you take that team alone and the information they get from other teams and things that they know and the things that they're doing themselves, and, and that's a team that has to be dealt with every week. So, And, and then, you know, this past week with Kyle Larson, uh, that's Hendrick Motorsports. You're not going to keep them down forever. So I just, I just think it's a matter of information. I think as the information starts to flow a little more freely and the information starts to come a little more available, I think you'll see pretty much the same teams win that, that won in the past. Those are the thoughts of an NASCAR Hall of Famer and a 12-time Bristol winner. Thank you, Daryl. DW joining us on NASCAR Live. More coming up. Well, listeners, in case you didn't get enough sports today, here's an ad break that'll tell you how to watch even more sports. YouTube is the new home of NFL Sunday Ticket. And if you sign up now, you'll get our lowest full-season price of the year. Just go to YouTube.com slash Spotify offer to get $100 off NFL Sunday Ticket. Watch your favorite team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games exclusively on YouTube and YouTube TV. All right, enough about sports. Go get more sports. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends June 6. No refunds. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We continue on this week's NASCAR Live. Over the years, Bristol Motor Speedway has provided no shortage of drama or headlines. The last great Coliseum is considered to be one of NASCAR's crown jewels, and each year, drivers do their best to take home the coveted checkered flag. Our Kurt Becker has more. In the 75-year history of NASCAR, few tracks are as synonymous with the sport as Bristol Motor Speedway. The half-mile oval near the Tennessee-Virginia border has been a part of the sport for more than 60 years and has become a track that fans circle on the schedule every year. But that's not to suggest this fan favorite has not undergone a few changes in its six decades of existence. Built in the early 1960s and christened as Bristol International Speedway, the original layout was exactly a half mile in length. The turns were banked at 22 degrees and the seating capacity was 18,000. The first NASCAR race at the track took place on July 30th, 1961 and was notable because of how the race was won. In the record books, Jack Smith is listed as the race winner, but he was not in the car when it took the checkered flag. After 290 laps, Smith had become overheated and was relieved by Johnny Allen, who finished the job. Less than 10 years after it was built, the track was reconfigured, with turns banked at 36 degrees, and the circumference was extended to .533 miles, a measurement that still stands today. Another significant change happened in the late 1970s when the track was sold and renamed Bristol International Raceway. The new owners had a vision of racing at night and brought in temporary lighting units. Thus, the Bristol Night Race was born in August of 1978, with the inaugural event won by Cale Yarborough. The early 1980s ushered in another new era for Bristol. It would be an era defined by Daryl Waltrip and his dominance. While Waltrip's first win at the track came in 1978, his victory in the spring of 1981 started a streak that is rarely seen in any sport.
sport, let alone NASCAR. That race started an unprecedented string of seven straight wins at the track, culminating in the spring of 1984. Walter behind Brad Teague slows it up, takes no chances, eases it down to the start-finish line, and Harold Kinder drops the checkered flag, and Darrell Waltrip wins the Valleydale 500. He's the defending champion. He won both races here last year, and what a streak that team is on. The leader is off turn two. And Waltrip trying to make it five in a row here at Bristol. He's got a half lap to go in turn three. Waltrip takes it up into the number three corner, backs out of the throttle as he comes up on a lapped automobile, and ladies and gentlemen, Darrell Waltrip will win his fifth in a row here at Bristol, Tennessee. White flag as he flashes down into turn number one. Let's follow him around on his victory lap. He's behind Rusty Wallace and ahead of Ricky Rudd. Darrell Waltrip is. Race traffic not a factor. He's taking a cautious line into turn three. The Junior Johnson streak remains intact as Darrell Waltrip comes off turn number four. A wave to the crowd as he takes the checkered flag and wins the Valleydale 500. Waltrip's streak would end in August of 1984, courtesy of a man who would be part of several Bristol storylines throughout his career. That man, Terry Labonte. Off turn two, there are a couple of cars ahead that will give Labonte some room. The Iceman cometh to turn three, and he heads for the checkers. Terry Labonte about to win. The Bush 500 comes out of turn number four. This crowd of 31,000 comes to their feet and gives the Piedmont Airlines driver a hearty ovation as he heads for turn number one, and he has won the Bush 500 here at Bristol, Tennessee. Still more changes were to come. One of the track's most drastic overhauls took place in 1992, for example, when it was repaved with a concrete surface, replacing what had been an asphalt layout since the track's inception. This made Bristol the first NASCAR track with an all-concrete surface, and the first race on the concrete was won by Waltrip. His record 12th win at the track and the 83rd of his Hall of Fame career. Back to the start finish line. He's going to win the Budweiser 500. Look for a moment like he slowed coming off turn two, but again, he's back up to speed within sight of the checkered flag now. For his 83rd career victory and his uh, number 12 here at Bristol Raceway, Darrell Waltrip gets the win in the Western Auto Chevrolet. While Waltrip remains the winningest driver in track history, Labonte claims a lot of memorable moments at Bristol. Those moments also involve the legendary Dale Earnhardt. The first such moment in this classic rivalry came in the 1995 edition of the Bristol Night Race, when Labonte ended up driving a wrecked race car into victory lane. White flag about to come up in the air for leader Terry Labonte as he works his way around the racetrack and heads back to turn one. Burton moves out of the inside of Mike Wallace, tried to make the move, he'll fall back in line, single file. Now Earnhardt is within three car lengths of Terry Labonte, last time into turn number three, and Labonte now deals with the traffic. Lap 499 on the board, here they come to the stripe. White flag in traffic. Labonte gets crossed up. Labonte goes around. Dale Earnhardt now watches, but across the line, I believe Labonte spun across the line and got the win. And it was tough to tell as the checkers came out. But with contact between Labonte and Earnhardt at the checkered flag, I believe Terry spun across the line with the win at the checkers. Uh, congratulate Terry. He ran a heck of a race and we couldn't catch him. I got up, jammed up behind him, slow cars. I got into him. He still won the race, but... Uh... 
There's one in nice. What a finish. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it was it was exciting there at the end. You know, Dale was catching us there, and uh, and I thought we had enough laps to hold him off. He had a little bit fresher tires than we did, and his car was awful good, too. And then we got up in that lap, lap traffic, and those guys were running side by side and trying to race each other and didn't have a whole lot of respect for the leaders coming. And, uh, you know, Dale got in the back of me, and I just stood in the gas and got in the side of one of those guys, and, uh, you know, we, we beat him across the line. Earnhardt, despite not getting the win that night, got a measure of revenge in 1999 when he turned Labonte on the final lap of the August night race. The move would result in Earnhardt capturing his ninth and final Bristol victory. It was also during the 1990s that Bristol underwent another ownership change. This time, the track was bought by Bruton Smith and his Speedway Motorsports Incorporated. That change began the transformation which would lead to Bristol being billed as the last great Coliseum, as Smith more than doubled the seating capacity to better than 160,000. To be sure, Bristol has also had its share of memorable happenings in the more modern era. For example, brothers Kurt and Kyle Busch have realized their share of milestones at the track. Kurt scored his first career NASCAR Cup Series victory in the spring of 2002 at Bristol, while Kyle won at Thunder Valley in 2007 in the debut of the so-called Car of Tomorrow. And three years later, Kyle became the first driver to win in all three of NASCAR's top touring series in one weekend at the same track. For that matter, Bristol is not just known in NASCAR, having found its way into the mainstream of pop culture. Bristol owns a Guinness World Record, was featured in the Disney movie Cars, and holds the honor for highest attendance ever for an NCAA college football game, having hosted nearly 157,000 fans at a Virginia Tech-Tennessee contest in 2016. Of course, no history of Bristol Motor Speedway would be complete without mentioning what happened in 2021, when the track was temporarily covered in Tennessee clay and NASCAR went dirt track racing at Bristol. Off turn number four, pace truck behind the wall, green flag goes in the air, and we're racing at Bristol in the dirt. For the last time, for the man that says he doesn't do too well on dirt, he's doing pretty well here today. Martin Truex Jr., he's been dominating here in this race. He has the advantage, some five truck lengths back to Ben Rhodes. A day late, but definitely not a dollar short. Here comes Martin Truex Jr. to the line. Martin Truex Jr. scores the upset and wins the Penny's truck race on dirt at Bristol. Bristol has certainly undergone its share of changes through the years, perhaps more so than most tracks in the history of the sport. But whether it's asphalt, concrete, or dirt, the significance of Bristol Motor Speedway cannot be denied as NASCAR celebrates its 75th anniversary season. Thank you, Kurt. Coming up, Crew Chief Chris Gale joins NASCAR Live, and later we'll preview Bristol Dirt. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Sudoku Rookie of the Year contender Ty Gibbs has finished in the top 10 in the last three races. Matter of fact, ninth, ninth, and ninth are his last three finishes. His crew chief, Chris Gale, caught up with Steve Post and Todd Gordon. Here's a snippet of that conversation. You're a young race car driver. Your team that you guys have put together this year, three straight ninth place finishes. That looks good to me, the radio guy. How does it feel? How does it look as the crew chief leading that operation? It, it does look good, right? Um, we're happy with that. Like, that's where we feel like we need to be. Like, we kind of set some goals in the beginning of the year. And and I would tell you that Ty's goals are much higher than all the rest of us that have looked at rookie stats for a long time, right? And know kind of 
how the rookies tend to struggle on the cup side. Um, and, and you want him to have that, right? You want him to shoot for the moon, but what you don't want him to do is if he doesn't necessarily meet his personal expectations, you don't want him to get down about it. You want to let him know that he's still on pace with where he should be. And we kind of set a goal like 10th to 15th is where we should run early in the year, right? And if we get something inside the top 10, inside the top five, we're ahead of schedule and that's a bonus, you know? And so you kind of got caught up in wrecks and different things early in the year. And then we've kind of been getting those finishes here lately. They haven't always been smooth, but we've been getting the finishes the last three weeks. Yeah, really cool. And, and, and to your point, 10th to 15th on a, on a rookie rookie uh, schedule, it's a great place to be. As you look at this, you're kind of hitting that that target. What's your next focus? What's the next piece that you want to push your program to, to accomplish on the racetrack? Clean races, to be honest with you. So like I, I kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, Richmond was probably the first clean race we've had where we haven't had pit road problems, you know, missing the S's and have to do two pass-throughs basically during CODA. You know, we got the finishes at Atlanta and CODA, but those were far from smooth, you know. We had pit road incidents where we were over the line, you know, those kind of things. And we were just, the, the chaotic nature of the end of CODA allowed us to still get a good finish by not being caught up in anything. Atlanta, with the nature of super speedway racing, allowed us to get back in it because it was packed up enough and you could just let others make mistakes. We talked about Richmond, that wasn't going to be the case, right? Like if you had pit road problems, speeding, bad pit stops, right? That could end your day there and you weren't going to just drive back through the field. So, you know, that was the first race that I feel like we completely went through clean without having a problem. So I think for us, that's how the, the future races need to go. We need to have no problems on pit road and let the car speed speak for itself, you know, and hopefully that gets us in the top five to top 10 range every week. The opportunity to come back to Cup Series racing and the opportunity to do it with the same driver you had last year you and Ty, and, 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 and Ty had the 15 races, I believe it was, over at uh, over at the 45 car, but but being able to to bring the same driver, same driver, same crew chief combination, how, how important has that been for you guys as you've learned this process? Yeah, I think it's just, it's just familiarity, right? Um, stuff, you know, we'll go to the simulator and he'll talk about certain things and I'll know ahead, like, okay, yeah, this is always kind of what he complains about in the simulator versus real life. And I think it shortcuts just some of those communication things that I understand a little better, like, okay, what to listen to, what not to listen to, um, you know, the severity of the complaints and how to deal. That's been the biggest thing for me is there's just a familiarity there of I've got a year and a half experience ahead of anybody else doing that. Um, and, and I think there's, whether it's fair or not, you know, there's some confidence that he has with me on the Xfinity side, just of kind of being through some tough situations and, and having conversations about it, that he's familiar with me. I, I think that's the biggest thing, right? The car is so different, competition level so high that um, the rest is hard to say if it's much of an advantage. The, the, the psychological side of, of having confidence in each other, that's a huge piece to what we race today. That's actually one of the things that I feel like we miss uh, and me being an old engineer. I think we, we miss those things. We don't see that piece of the emotional side of what racing is. As we talk about, talk about new adventures, Bristol dirt coming up this weekend. How's your dirt history? Yeah, it has been at least 25 years since I've touched a dirt car, right? It's been a long time. And, and, and again, those were purpose-built dirt cars. This is going to be the first time where I take something that is not built for dirt and we try to do it this way. So I don't know. I'm keeping an open mind about it. I'm going to try to make sure that it, it stays fun. Um, 
knowing that like Ty doesn't have a lot of experience doing it either at a few ARCA races. Um, I think Bristol will be distinctly different than those races. Um, so we're going to go into it with an open mind and just try to have fun and then focus on, you know, not making any mistakes in the race, right? That's what really matters. If we can start the race with the same car we start the weekend with, we can make it a little better. If he can learn more during the race and avoid mistakes, whatever we get, we get at that point. Yeah, the Ty's experience are mile tracks at DuCoin and Springfield, flat miles. <laughs> Bristol is not a flat mile, that's for sure. And, uh, and, and, and Chris, obviously yours goes back years and years to Arkansas. Um, and how important is there a, is there a relying on teammates? How do you how do you get a baseline to get started on this weekend? Yeah, I think that's what's good for me, right? Like the majority of my crew, right, is the 18 cup car from last year with Kyle who ran really good in this race. So they have a baseline setup, you know, virtually no changes to the cars to speak of probably that are a big deal for dirt from from what they raced last year, same tire. Um, and then Bell, right, ran really well as well and has lots of experience. So I think I've got a, you know, we can start very similarly to where the 18 did last year as a place to start with Ty and practice and then you know what, if Bell sneaks up on something that he feels is good, I have confidence to know that he knows what he's doing dirt, and I have no problem just putting that setup in and racing it for Sunday. Thank you, Steve. You can catch that full interview Wednesday on MRN Crew Call on your preferred podcast or on YouTube. Coming up, we'll preview the upcoming racing weekend at Bristol. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. We are in short track mode once again. This past weekend, we were on the three-quarter mile Richmond Raceway. This week, we're going to be on the dirt of Bristol Motor Speedway. What do drivers expect in year three of this event? Kyle Rickey has more. The short track swing for the NASCAR Cup Series continues this coming weekend, but with a twist. The sport's best will race on the dirt-covered Bristol Motor Speedway on Easter Sunday for the third straight season. Kyle Larson heads into this weekend with a ton of momentum after his win at the Richmond Raceway. Additionally, Larson will once again be the betting favorite heading into Sunday because of his background in dirt racing. While Larson understands why he is the favorite according to the media and sports books, but also explains how this race is so much different than what he typically races on dirt. I mean, I could have ran last in every single race leading into Bristol, and the media is probably going to point to me as being the favorite anyways at Bristol just because it's a dirt track. So it does not matter to me. Uh, I know that we're going to be good at every racetrack. It's so different than the dirt racing that I do uh, during the week. It's, uh, you know, These heavy stock cars drive nothing like even a dirt late model that's 2,400 pounds. So, yes, you know, like I maybe can read a track better than people, but now this is our third year on it. So I think, you know, everybody's kind of got a good idea of, of what to look for. Um, I feel like the track prep crew does a good job of making things consistent throughout the years and, but the weekend, especially Christopher Bell is probably the second most accomplished dirt racer in NASCAR behind Larson, but he and Larson haven't had the success most expected in the first two years of this event. Bell did his best to explain why drivers with limited dirt experience have been able to excel on this track. It's just so different. Like, it doesn't even really feel like a, a dirt race. Uh, 
so I mean I, I enjoy it whenever I'm doing good last year you know I, I had moments in the race where I was really fast and it was a lot of fun and then I had moments in the race where I was struggling and, and it just wasn't very enjoyable so uh, I imagine if you ask the rest of the field they're going to say the same thing driving it like an asphalt car <laughs> unfortunately uh, you just got to make sure you keep it straight and uh, you know I think that's why the asphalt guys have succeeded is because they just stick to what they what they know and um, you know we, all of us dirt guys look like yahoos out there spinning out all the time Larson explains on that when he predicts that the drivers who are up front at Richmond will be the same drivers who will be fast this weekend at least in the two races that we've ran there it's it's your same guys that run up front you know here today will probably be up front hit uh, at Bristol next week too so yeah, I think we'll be because we've been a lot better at, at all these racetracks so far this year I think we'll be better than what we were there last year we weren't we weren't great um, you were good when the track had grip not great when it got slick so yeah, I'm sure we've learned from it, and we'll hopefully be better going back. One driver who has had success in the first two years of the Bristol Dirt Race is Ryan Blaney. The Team Penske driver has scored top 10 finishes both times out. Blaney is once again expecting another good run and another good race. Going back to this year, yeah, I think uh, I think this car took you know the dirt track pretty well. The tire was a little better than what we had the first year. So yeah, hopefully no rain, and uh, and and I hope the track widens out even more. You know, I thought it was 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 a lot better than the first year. As, as well as being wide and having some grip that you could kind of chase up the racetrack. And I, and I hope it becomes even more so that way to where there's even more options. So uh, we, we had a fast car last year, just kind of kept getting in the bad lane on the restart. I kept having to restart on the bottom. I'd lose two spots and then I'd still restart on the bottom. And uh, you'd have to fight your tail off to try to get those spots back. But uh, I'm excited to go there. Um, puts on a good show and I think everyone really enjoys it. And it's something I look forward to. From last year, I look forward to it. The first year I was like, man, I don't know about this going back. It was kind of a, a crapshoot, but, uh, you know, I thought last year was a big, big success as far as the raceability, and I think this year hopefully will be even better. While Blaney's chance to win the race last year might have been impacted by getting stuck on the bottom lane on multiple restarts, that won't necessarily be the case in 2023, as we'll see the new choose rule in effect for the first time in this race. Blaney says that the top lane will certainly be preferred, but he could see taking a chance on the bottom if he can jump a row or two. Yeah, the choose rule at the dirt track, I think, is huge that we were able to do that. It's an option that we really fought for on not only road courses, but the dirt track as well. I think it's going to be even more important at the dirt track than, than road courses. At Bristol Dirt, you know, there's going to be a lot more strategy involved, I think. So, like, if I'm 10th and I could possibly restart 7th, maybe I'd take it. You know, you jump a row and you see if you can slide into a spot and get a couple spots, but I'd probably have to gain a row, but we'll just see how the track is. You kind of you kind of have your ideas, but then you see how the track restarts and, and if the bottom lane is just really bad trying to get going. Yeah, if I could gain a row, I'll probably take it right now, but that might switch up in the race. The majority of the field this weekend has at least the last two years of dirt experience to lean on. That can't be said for A.J. Allmendinger. The last time Allmendinger raced on dirt was 13 years ago in Tony Stewart's all-star prelude to a dream race. Going into the weekend, Allmendinger says he will focus on the first two races on dirt at Bristol and lean heavily on colleague racing teammates Justin Haley and dirt ace Jonathan Davenport. Well, I mean, I've watched the, the races 
uh, since they've been doing it on dirt there. And I think a lot of it, just like dirt racing always is, it's it's about how the track is. Uh, you know, I felt like, you know, the first year, obviously, during the day, it was really dry. It almost looked like a pavement race where you just drive it straight in the corner. You tried not to be that sideways. You had to wrap the bottom. If you missed the bottom, you just kind of slid through the dust. And then last year with it being at night and then it kind of continually raining a little bit as the race went on, it seemed like it, it kept the tr track just a little bit tacky and guys could run up by the fence, slide the cars a little bit more. For me, it's just going out there trying to get comfortable. Thankfully, I got a great teammate in Justin Haley that's, that's used to running on dirt. Uh, he ran that race last year. He can kind of help me out with it. Uh, it'll be really cool to have Jonathan Davenport on a race team. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that. So it's a new challenge. That's what's fun about NASCAR now in, in the scheduling is you have new things that you go out and try, whether you like them or not. So is there anything else Allmendinger can do to prepare? The 2022 winner of this race, Kyle Busch, doesn't think so. In fact, Busch says that this is one race on the schedule where teams are given too much time to practice. No, uh, matter of fact, we have way too much practice when we go there. <laughs> Two hours of practice on a dirt track that deteriorates is genius. Um, so... Uh, if I could fix that, we would literally just probably have a five-lap hot lap uh, in groups, and we'd go right into the heat races. That's it. So what does the 2023 edition of the Food City Dirt Race hold? Will a dirt expert like Larson or Bell finally get it done, or will another driver with pavement experience reign supreme again? We will find out who finds the golden egg, so to speak, in NASCAR's new Easter Sunday tradition. That Bristol Dirt Preview was brought to you by Whelan Engineering. Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, has been manufacturing in America for over 70 years. We never left, and we're here to stay. Coming up, we'll put a bow on this week's show by revisiting the 1982 Valleydale 500. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Checker flag is getting ready to fly on this week's NASCAR Live before we pack up and head to the hills of Tennessee. Let's revisit the 1982 Valleydale 500 at Bristol Motor Speedway. Waltrip will have 30 laps to go next time by. He's the leader here at Bristol in the Valleydale 500, and he stretched that lead to a little better than 10 and a half seconds over the second-place car, Dale Earnhardt, in the Wrangler car, Bud Moore. After a fine run here this afternoon, all Earnhardt can do now is hang on and watch that run he put on a little bit earlier kind of evaporate and hope that Waltrip might have some kind of trouble before it's all over. It's just phenomenal how that Junior Johnson car gets it done when they come here. Well, eight out of the last 12 victories for Junior with Cale Yarbrough and Darrell Waltrip driving and the last five pole positions in a row for races at this track. They certainly have a handle on it. Waltrip continues to circulate in that Mountain Dew Buick. Dale Earnhardt, the Wrangler, Bud Moore, Ford, Thunderbird riding in second. Morgan Shepard has been unable in the last 15 or 20 laps in his Levi Garrett machine to close any of the distance between himself and the second place car. Now those three are on the lead lap. Terry Labonte is also, but he's in danger of being put a lap down by Waltrip up in turn number three. Those are the front four. Bobby Allison is a lap down. He's the fifth place car. He's also in a lap all by himself. Bobby Allison is. Everybody else is at least a couple of laps back or further. Waltrip told me how careful you have to be in this last 50 or 60 laps. Again, that's fatigue. Uh, a lot of times a guy will run good and he'll get you down a couple laps early in the race and you'll think, man, I don't know how I'm ever going to catch back up. And uh, 
that's just fatigue. Uh, the last hundred laps of this race, you really got to grit your teeth and bear down and run hard if you want to win. I've won this race being laps down before and come back and won it in the last 25 or 30 laps. So you got to run 500 laps and you got to be able to run them all hard. Well, he seems to be getting around with no problem at all right now. Here he comes out of turn four behind Terry Labonte. He's within about four car lengths of putting the fourth place car a lap down as they head to Eli Gold. He'll stay on the low side of the racetrack, Waltrip will. Labonte doesn't give him a whole lot of room, so Darrell just takes it easy. The luxury he has right now to back it off just a little bit when he has to. The car works so well, and he's got a comfortable lead. Waltrip caught behind of a couple of cars. Buddy Arrington moves over, gives him a little racing room. Labonte looks back. He knows he's there. Knows the only chance he probably has to win this one this afternoon is certainly if Waltrip should have trouble in the Mountain Dew car. Darrell just trails him around. He'll pick his spot to pass as they head back to turn four. Up out of turn number four, Waltrip lines himself up on Labonte. They both sweep out high. Slick Johnson's machine just ahead, and they'll deal with that as they come back around to turn number two. Waltrip way up almost toward the wall, leaves himself a little breathing room. And as he works down the back straightaway, it's those three cars, Labonte, Waltrip, and then Ruckman. And now Waltrip goes high as Labonte stays low. Oh, that flashback is brought to you by Mahindra. Race fans, don't forget to cheer for Chase Briscoe in the Mahindra Tractor's number 14 car and race into your local dealer for big savings on Mahindra, the official tractor of Tough. You can hear that race in its entirety right now on MRN.com or by subscribing to MRN Classic Races wherever you listen to podcasts. I'd like to thank Chris Gale for stopping by and NASCAR Hall of Famer Daryl Walter for joining us as well. I'm Mike Bagley. And for the rest of the entire Motor Racing Network crew, we thank you for joining us as well. We will talk with you on NASCAR Live Wide Open on Thursday and right here for NASCAR Live Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern next week. Until then, have a great Easter weekend. So long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and was brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was produced by Trey Downing, Pat Jaggers, and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Buying a house can feel like you're going 200 miles per hour in bumper-to-bumper traffic with a dirty windshield and the sun in your eyes. Ruoff Mortgage has the technology, expert staff, and resources to simplify the process while speeding up the time it takes to get clear to close. So while getting a loan can seem intimidating, Ruoff Mortgage will have you opening the door to your new home fast and stress-free. Visit Ruoff.com to learn more. That's Ruoff.com.